That's a nurse game. Yeah. You should have been a nurse. Oh no. I have no patience. <laughs> I will I would get sacked within a week. <laughs> within a week. I have no patience whatsoever. Mm. It it comes with the O C D territory. So like, why aren't you well now? I have done this, I have done this, I have done this, we have ticked the boxes. <laughs> why are you not well now? I am so aggressive when Joe's ill. Like, I am not a nurse. I've not been ill in the last ten years. He dent. As far as Emma's aware. He dent. I've been through many major illnesses and just yeah. tried desperately to cover it up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I literally throw paracetamol at him, lemsip, cough lozenges, <laughs> tissue, and it's just like, right, okay, you've got half an hour, get better. <laughs> then go and do the shopping. Yeah, yeah I, I don't, I, I don't deal well with it at all. I, it's purely out of worry. Mm. It comes from a place of worry. It's just like no, you're, you're not allowed to die on me. Mm. Don't die on me. You've got to it be well. It sounds like love. It really does. Scary, scary love. You get, she, she's throwing lozenges at you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> Why aren't you well? <laughs> get better and throwing things at you. <laughs> Here's some tissue. I love you. <laughs> Doesn't work as well as you'd think. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This story straddles the transition from the Georgian to Victorian times. Mm-hmm. So we're going from, you know, early 1800s through to late 1800s here. In fact, we're going very early 1800s because William Calcraft was born on October the 11th, my birthday. His birthday... Yeah. Have you remembered a present? No. Oh, <laughs> November eleventh. He me was write born this slightly down. before me. It was um, October the eleventh, eighteen hundred, in the oh, village. October eleventh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So sorry, I was a month off. Mm. I don't know why I heard November. Carry on. He was born in the village of Little Badau, which I quite like because I I always read that as Badau, in Essex. Badau. It almost sounds like bedazzle. Yeah. He was born in the little village of Bedazzle in Essex. (laughs) As a youth, he entered the exciting world of shoe repair, becoming first an apprentice cobbler, and then an actual cobbler in his own right, heading off to make his fortune in glamorous late Georgian London. So he's obviously quite a good cobbler because he managed to make the leap from Essex to, to London. It's not that big a leap, though, is it? Geographically, it's not that big. Not geographically, but in terms of... He probably wanted more business yeah you go where the people are there's literally the well-heeled londoner he was healing those well-heeled londoners okay unfortunately though then as now the high cost of living meant that he needed to take a second job in order to make ends meet now in his 20s william landed a gig selling pies specifically selling pies outside of newgate prison super extra specifically though selling pies outside of newgate prison on days where some poor soul was going to be hung by the neck until dead. Oh, also well, good time to sell a pie. Yeah, death pies. Death pies. It's like um, the popcorn stand, but for pies. Yes. Wow. You've got a lot of punters there on hanging day, so hangings had moved to Newgate from Tyburn in 1783. As we know, we did Tyburn. And though the new venue didn't have quite the same capacity for spectators, because for a start, it didn't have honest to goodness grandstands mm-hmm. around the gallows. Oh. It was still large enough that an enterprising part-time pie salesman could rely on 
making a good book out of the hungry crowds that would still number in the thousands. So when I say it, the numbers have gone down... That's one hell of a cart, thousand pies. Oh, I don't think he sold a pie to every every single person there. Because, yeah, like you say, that would be quite quite the pie cart. Yeah. Sometimes you don't feel like having a pie while you're with your hanging. You just, yeah, you know... I think it would put me off. If you've already had a big <laughs> breakfast, do you want a meat pie to go along with your hanging? You want something lighter. You yeah, probably... but back in the day, I mean, you know, it's like Wigan now, isn't it? Everyone loves a pie. Everyone loves a pie. Uh, one person... Uh, who definitely loved a pie, was the official executioner because he regularly sold a pie to John Foxon, who, be fair, he probably felt he deserved a little treat for himself after a hanging went off without a hitch. You've got to reward I mean, yourself for on, a job well done. I mean, come on, you swinging an axe. It takes some energy. Oh, it, this was a... hangman, not headsman. This is just pulling oh. a lever. It's, it's pulling... Well, you've got to, you've got to uh, string them up as well. Yeah, but you still, yeah, you've got to hang the body. You've yeah. got to lift the body a little bit. Uh, no, no, you don't even have to do that. It's a trapdoor system, so... Literally, Dunk. just put the noose yeah, around him and pull the big lever. Ka-dunk. What a lazy executioner. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's laziness. <laughs> That's just the job description at that point. It's... What happened to the days of the axe? Just kidding. Go on. <laughs> well, it wasn't that long before. I mean, we're only talking like 100 years removed. So, <laughs> John Foxon had taken over as the executioner in 1820, and he presided over approximately 210 executions during his time in the job. The most interesting amongst them, because I read a few articles, was the story of John Thurtle, who, in an attempt to get out of paying a gambling debt, became probably the only man in history to be convicted of stabbing a man to death with a pistol. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that takes some effort. It really does. I mean... He must have really wanted him dead. That has to, like... Yeah. Unless it was a pistol that had been manipulated with some sort of, like... Just a standard flintlock pistol. It didn't have like a bayonet on it. It was just a flintlock pistol. Because you can see, um, you can see the gun is kept in a crime museum in England. Uh, to be wow. fair to him, stabbing with the pistol wasn't his first attempt. He'd shot the guy point blank in the face with the pistol, and somehow this hadn't got the job done. So in a panic, he just sort of turned it round and just jammed it into the guy's eye socket as hard as he could and apparently managed to pierce the bone and into the brain with it. Oh, well, yeah, that would stab God. Yeah. Okay, That's a threat. I'm going to stab you to death with this pistol. I'm so angry at you. As the hanging of Fertile took place in 1824, it's likely William Colcraft was on hand as the murderer was cut down to be dissected, handing Foxton a nice, well-deserved warm meat pie. Yum, yum. What we do know for sure is that the two men became friendly over time, to the point that Foxen eventually offered Colcraft another part-time job, assisting with the flogging of juvenile offenders for the remuneration oh. of half a crown, which is approximately £1.50. Whipping kids? Uh, yes, it was £1.50 per urchin successfully flogged. Oh, oh no. From shoemaking to flogging? Yeah, well, naturally, yeah, he leapt at the uh, change. I think that kind of shows his character in a nutshell, in career path. doesn't it? I, d- I don't think I could... <clears throat> Well, no, to be fair, at the moment, he's still mainly a cobbler. He's a cobbler slash... A cobbler co- and a cobbler maker. Peach cobbler. Get it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've never had Sorry. a peach cobbler. <gasps> Am I? What? I don't even what? know. I, I have to admit my ignorance. Oh. I don't even know what constitutes a cobbler in terms of a, a dessert item. Oh, look it up later. <laughs> You just you're so vexed with me. I, I can't even tell oh, you the ingredients oh. of a peach cobbler. You learn yourself. Peaches. 
speeches. Um, yeah, so he he loved the idea that he could get into the, the criminal justice game by beating some kids. And it's likely he spent many a happy hour in My Newgate gosh. wielding a cat of nine tails with gay abandon, whistling a jaunty tune. You think so? I, I think he did. I think he enjoyed his work. Mm. Whistle while you were... That's awful. Poor, poor kids. Okay, go on. Then, on Valentine's Day, 1829, Colcraft was interrupted from an energetic session with a restrained half-naked boy to be told the news that John Foxton had died. Oh, Oh, his mate's dead. Yeah. And although he had not assisted Foxton at any hangings at all, Colcraft was offered the chance to make the leap from repairer of footwear and pie salesman Ugh. to full-time dispenser of justice. Did he make the his pies? No, I I think he was just a salesman. When did he have the time? He was cobbling well, shoes. This is, what I, this is what I mean. I've just kind of like... So my brain's caught <laughs> up with true. this conversation. Well, when, <laughs> by, by this point, he had a wife and kids, so it I, may be I that had, the wife was making the maybe pies. Maybe the wife made the oh, pies. Okay. She was she was, the, <coughs> she was the production arm of Colcraft Pies, and he was the, the salesman. He was the face. But yeah, he, he took the job of official executioner of London and Middlesex, but basically all of the southeast of England. Okay. Did it make more money than shoe hobbling? Well, it... Shoe making. It paid a retainer of one guinea a week with a further guinea bonus for every execution and perks, because it came with a perks package. They included... Dental. His flat rate for, <laughs> his flat rate for floggings, because he kept that up. <clears throat> so he still got his floggings. An allowance, though, for the purchase of cat and nine tails. Uh, I assume you would need a specialist that you go to. I, I don't think you could buy those just off the peg your cat and nine tails and he also could you might because there might be like S&M people out there that need to get their cat tails from somewhere I mean we're getting towards the Victorian era so there is a lot of repressed sexuality it could be <laughs> um, but he could also use his expense accounts for birch rods if he wanted to, to thrash them with a cane Colcraft was also informed that he would be entitled to the clothes of all the people he hung and the personal effects they had on them at the time of their hanging, which he could either sell back to the family or to anyone who wanted to buy as a grisly trophy, although many of the outfits ended up being sold to Madame Tussauds, um, and they would then be put on the mannequins of the people that they'd just been on mm -hmm. as part of their execution sort of murderers' displays, which is kind of creepy. That they'd be taken off the actual person and then immediately put on a doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah, she That's was a weird But that, that wasn't all in terms of the um, benefits, because he could also sell the lengths of rope that he used to hang people. And reportedly, this could go for up to 25p an inch, which roughly equates to about £20 today. Really, people? Is that money for old rope? That, that is where money for old rope comes from. People collected... That's oh my gosh! You know, there's there's murder memorabilia to this day. So yeah, people would like oh I've got a bit of that to show people. But it's hard to like prove anyway. Well, I guess if you're buying it from the hangman directly after the um, execution, it's not like it's he's going to write a. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could ask Colcraft to sign a little um, certificate of authenticity. <laughs> I don't know if he did. Still has the flesh from the neck on there. I... People oh, also, back then didn't even have birth certificates. I doubt he'd sign something to say that it was real. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess you just have to trust the provenance. Yeah. You know? uh, and even though he was on retainer as the exclusive um, executioner of you know the, the London area, mm. essentially, he could also take jobs at any other prison who needed a hangman for a negotiated fee. 
So he was both on retainer for the, the London jobs, but he could go all over the country and negotiate a fee which was generally very much higher. So he he got the jackpot. Oh Tom. yeah, this was this was what he wanted to do because he immediately said yes, sold his cobbling tools, bought a selection of morbid black suits and embarked on his second career at the age of 29, a career that would last an amazing 45 years. Wow. Making him the longest serving executioner in British history. Wow. And he loved every moment of it, mm-hmm. didn't he? Yeah, you can tell. You can tell. <laughs> well, well, we'll get to it, but I, I think you'll see where the turn happens. He was immediately thrown in at the deep end with his first official job being a double hanging of a burglar and a highwayman on March 27th. This took place at a place called Lincoln Beast Market, which is a cool place <laughs> to, to kill people. Right. It was just over a month later, though, that Colcraft would get his first taste of the crowds outside of Newgate in London, when on April 13th, sadly not a Friday, there's a lot, oh. of, there's a lot of 13ths in this story, and I checked, none of them are a Friday the 13th. That's very disappointing. Oh. It was. But on April the 13th, I believe it was a Thursday, he conducted his first hanging of a woman, Esther Hibner, the Elder who had an unfortunate habit of taking in pauper children as apprentices and then working them to death. Wow. Child enslavement. Essentially, yes. Wow. Mm. She deserved to die. Well, mm-hmm. her tra- we'll see. I mean, it might not be a fair cop. She's killing children well, by no. working them to death. That's just what the, uh, the lawyer for the prosecution is saying. Let's hear the defence. Uh, her trial for oh. murder focused on the death of 10-year-old Francis Colpitt. She was starved and beaten daily, allegedly. Uh, but what is known is that at the time of her death, Frances was so malnourished that her toes were literally rotting off her feet. Ew. So she had bad necrosis on her, on her feet at the point of her death. Esther the Elder decided she'd let her daughter, Esther the Younger, conduct her defence, which consisted mainly of calling the witnesses, over half a dozen clearly abused children, liars. Understandably, the jury didn't buy that, and her mother was sentenced to death. On the day of the execution, Esther was carried to the gallows in a straitjacket. Oh my god. As she had tried to commit suicide by stabbing herself in the neck in order to avoid her sentence. And when this had failed, she decided she was going to flatly refuse to cooperate with the jailers, and was going to lie on the floor uh, and kick and scream and spit. That doesn't look like guilt at all. No, no, no. Despite being faced with this as just his second job, you know, I mean, talk about non-compliant, Colcraft did his duty efficiently, and he was even given three cheers by the assembled crowd as the body of Esther was being cut down and taken away for dissection. Hip hip hooray! <laughs> as you can imagine, there, there were a lot the of mothers dead. in there were a lot of mothers in the crowd because these these children they weren't orphans no. that she was abusing; they were pauper children. So. The mums had had to take the decision to give them up to be um, taken in by people who could give them apprenticeships, give them a chance. So they would try and visit their kids mm. and will keep being told, oh, no, your your child's been naughty today. So um, we're, we're not letting them see anyone as a punishment or, oh, I've just sent them to the shop to mm-hmm. to do something for me. So if you come back later, you know, keep giving them the, the brush off. However, the the cheering of of the crowds was not a common occurrence for Colcraft 
uh, as he'd taken the job of executioner at a time when the entire concept of capital punishment in Britain was being reassessed. It was a period of rapid change when the bloody code and public spectacle of the Georgian era gave way to the more moralistic and relatively progressive views of the Victorians. As a result, Calcraft took part in quite a few lasts, as well as more than a couple of firsts over the course of his career. And we're going to just talk about a few of the few of the uh, executions that, okay. that he covered. So, the winds of change were already blowing only a year into his career, when on New Year's Eve, 1829, Calcraft dispatched Thomas Maynard, who was the last person to be executed for forgery, which used to not only be a hanging offence, it was considered treason because you were um, making a replica of an image of the king. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it attracted the full hung, drawn and quartered at one point if you were a man and burning at the stake if you were a woman. Wow. Which I don't understand. That's worse. Uh, Yeah, it was worse Mm -hmm. for the women. The the last woman burnt at the stake wasn't a witch. It was a forger in Britain. Um, Two years later... Colcraft was visiting Maidstone to execute a convicted murderer called John Any Bird Bell. Any oh. Bird? Any Bird. That was his middle names. John Any Bird Bell. Who had killed a 13 year old boy during a robbery. That's some messed up parents right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd. he'd um, the, there was a 13 year old boy, and it was known in the village that his dad would often send him to the next village to pick up um, nine shillings from somebody who he had a constant sort of, you know, um, business with, Mm. and that this little boy would then bring it back in a little um, special pocket that was sewn into one of his mittens. And John, any bird, Bell, and his brother figured out, you know, that this happened monthly, and they planned to ambush him and rob him, but John got a bit excited and ended up slitting the boy's throat and killing him. Oh, my God. John's brother and accomplice had confessed to the crime after the two were forced to attend the exhumation and examination of their victim in a a churchyard a week after the burial because the 13-year-old was buried almost immediately and when they started suspecting um, John and his brother they decided they had to exhume the body and examine it a bit better and they thought, hell, why not bring the two people that were accusing of the crime down there to see what happens and it managed to break the younger brother um, James Bell probably because he was only 11 years old himself <gasps> and they oh. made him climb into the grave uh, to rifle through the pockets of the dead boy oh wow John Anybird Bell himself was only 14 years old at the time of the crime wow despite the confessions there was a public outcry at the age of the condemned and a petition for clemency which turned out to be unsuccessful Oh my goodness. Apparently, the only part of the sentence that appeared to upset John Any Bird Bell was the fact that his body would be dissected after he was dead. Oh, that does seem to bother a lot of people. Mm. He would therefore probably have been happy to know that the reformers were successful in passing the Anatomy Act in 1832, which ended this custom for good. Though a copy of John Any Bird Bell's death mask can still be viewed at the Edinburgh Anatomy Museum. I've had a look at it, and it makes it very, very clear that this was a child. You know, he wow. he wasn't an old 14. He wasn't somebody who'd um, reached puberty early. He was very Damn. much like a yeah. kid. Oh, dear. 
Amazingly, though, John Bell was almost not the youngest person Calcraft executed, as in 1833, a nine-year-old boy was sentenced to hang. No! But in his case, the public outcry did result in a reprieve. Good! What what did he do? Well, this is the thing. It, it might have been to his favour that his crime was only housebreaking and not murder. So they were going to hang a nine-year-old for housebreaking. Dang. Wow. And then the public stood up and went, no. But did he housebreak because he was poor? He was was housebreaking because he was a poor nine-year-old, because he grew up in a family where criminality was normal. It was like a little Oliver Twist. Mm -hmm. It was a little, yeah. I mean, don't kill him for that. Well, they didn't. I, I didn't actually find out what they did. They just went, and we're not going to kill him. I don't know if they transported they him. They probably I sent him if... to that workhouse to take the place of yeah. all the children that they mm. lost for slave labor. <laughs> yeah, got sent over to oh, Esther, the youngers. She's mm-hmm. taken over her mum's business. Exactly. And it's going well. They're going through 10, 12 you know, young urchins a year now. <laughs> Housebreaking, though, was removed from the list of capital offences later in the same decade as the progressive Peel government slowly reduced the crimes that could attract a death sentence, because at one point it was over 100. Uh, Some of the crimes that were removed, in no particular order, over the uh, course of the 1830s, horse-stealing, sacrilege, arson, rape, and letter-stealing, which is probably the most heinous of all of those crimes. Letter-stealing? Yeah, if you stole a letter, you could be hung for it. Wow. Up until the 1830s. It is a federal offence here. Yeah, you, yeah don't, you don't mess with the mail. Oh, you don't mess with the royal mail. Bloody mm-hmm. hell, fire! Um, it's the royal mail. It's the royal mail. It's got yeah. the it's got the you know the stamp <laughs> with the head. I mean, they, they didn't have stamps at that point because the penny no, black was the first one. They didn't have little red vans with the crest on it either, no. like we do. No, it was just the mail. But it's you very don't mess kitsch. with the mail. One offence though that remained a capital punishment until 1861 was sodomy. And it was William Calcraft who executed the last two men to receive a death sentence for the crime in 1835. Jeez. What about gay rape? Where would you stand that with that? It's rape, so it would like a double whammy. Well, because you said it, you said that that no sodomy, a consensual act of right. between two men. Rape is rape, and you will punish the rapist. Uh, if if your question is, would you punish a man for being raped as a sodomite? I don't think so. Um, but in this case, it was the the offence of two consensual men having intercourse. Um, the two men in question, James Pratt and John Smith, they had been convicted based purely on the testimony of what the landlord's wife claimed to have seen through the keyhole. Oh. This was in spite of the fact that she could not confirm when asked, as she was asked in open court, if either man had an erection and appeared to describe a number of acts that would be physically impossible. <laughs> okay. I looked everywhere for a verbatim testimony so that I could see what these impossible acts were, but alas, I will just have to leave it up to your imagination. I'd, I'd like to think we're talking Cosmo position of the month kind of ridiculous <laughs> gymnastics. Like, had the she had bird. never had sex before? Well, she was the landlord's wife, so I, I imagine she must have, but it must have been missionary position, lights off, and she, she was still... You know, as innocent as a married woman could be of the male anatomy, because she never saw him without his long johns on. I guess so. Okay. That's why you've got a flap in the front, so you don't have to ever oh, get fully you. naked with your significant other. Yeah, that's why. James Pratt's last words were reported to be, Oh God, this is horrible. 
it is indeed horrible. Which is quite accurate. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, uh, he, yeah. He broke down <laughs> on the gallows to the point that Calcraft needed to support him to stand as his assistant pinioned Pratt's legs in preparation for the drop. Interestingly, of the 17 people sentenced to death during the September and October sessions in 1835, which included murderers and, you know, mm. really bad wrongans. I hope so. I hope they didn't hang innocent people. Well, Pratt and Smith were the only two not to have their sentences commuted to transportation to Australia. So of the 17 people sentenced to death, only the two convicted of sodomy actually were hung. The murderers, everyone else, was sent to the colonies. What the heck? Throughout the 30s, 40s and 50s, Colcraft travelled all over the southeast and beyond performing his duties. He was reported to be a bit of a showman, and he would often... uh, jump under the gallows after releasing the trapdoor to theatrically pull on the legs of the condemned in order to speed up death. This earned him a reputation as being a bit of a bungler who enjoyed making the condemned suffer. But the idea of a long drop had not yet been conceived of, so to compare his methods to those that came later seems a bit unfair. The short drop method of execution was the only game in town. And based on that, you could say that actually taking the time to go under and try and speed along the strangulation was a bit of a mercy as opposed to just letting them hang there for up to 15 minutes I don't just know the logistics of it but he comes across as a bit of a twat <laughs> well he was, he was definitely I think so part of it was this was when you still had crowds so this was him um, playing to the crowd giving them a bit of a show you know mm. a bit more th- theatrics this this wasn't just um an execution this was a day out for a lot of these people so he, he would like to make sure they had their money's worth would they still have pies yeah well that's the other thing he'd been in the crowds as a pie salesman for the better part of a decade so he knew what the people wanted he knew what what made a good execution in their eyes and he was just trying to give them the show his poor wife was probably in the corner selling her little pies i, th- I think she was probably uh, starting to view him with a bit of you know suspicion because he seemed to be enjoying strangulation a bit too much Uh, One execution, though, that he definitely did not enjoy was that of Sarah Thomas on April 20th, 1849. Only 17, she bludgeoned her mistress to death after months of abuse. So she'd she'd gone into service with an an old woman who had apparently been a right old bitch. (laughs) Technical term. It is. She was a right old bitch. And she just nothing was good enough she was forced to redo work she was beaten Aww. she was had food withheld for just the most minor of offenses uh yeah or thing and she just snapped one night she was reported to be both beautiful and intelligent and the general consensus of the public was that this was just a a, a woman who'd been pushed too far yeah. Yeah. and that it was perfectly justified if not legal Calcraft was said to have been greatly affected by the sight of her being dragged screaming to the gallows. Oh, I think that's how I would go. I'd scream. Well, screaming. Yeah. Mm. Give him a good show. Well, <laughs> definitely. I mean, apparently, people <laughs> apparently there was there was a very eerie sort of um, moment with the crowd after this hanging because normally it's everything's really quiet and then there's the hanging and then it's hooray kind of true, a release. True. Whereas with this one. There was the sound of all of these screams from from um, Sarah, and then of course the lever was pulled and it just abruptly stopped, and there was no cheering at that point. the The entire thing just went deathly silent, Gosh. and everyone was kind of like, chilling. "Oh, this isn't what I wanted mm. from my execution." 
Yeah, this isn't fun. Yeah. It's almost like I had to see that person as a terrified young girl rather than... I wouldn't be able to eat my pie after that. Yeah, that no. Sounds no. A lot of pies were, were dropped to the floor uneaten. <laughs> the road sweeper had a very oh. tough day outside Newgate. It was sticky. It was. It was. It congealed. Mm-hmm. You know how gravy congeals. You know, and... when you first said pie salesman and executions, I was starting to go the, the Sweeney Todd route. <laughs> yeah. When I... I was. It's very Mrs. Lovett. <laughs> When uh, I first heard the story, I was like, yes! And now you just disappointed me. It's just regular meat on the ground. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is this is London in the Georgian era. You probably had some very interesting meats in there. Big there cat, been, a bit of dog, a yeah, squirrel. A bit of whatever you could find. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a bit of horse. Gosh. You still, okay. you, this was the time when you had literally people whose job it was to clean up horses that just oh, died on the okay. street. Yeah. So Thank you for they that. were selling those horses somewhere. <laughs> You've redeemed it. Cheval? Cheval pie? Ooh. It's continental. <laughs> uh, hers turned out to be the last public hanging um, at Bristol Jail. Because public hanging was more and more being viewed with disgust by the middle classes, the enlightened uh, people of Britain, who felt there must be a better way to dispatch of our criminals. And by the 1860s, there was a push to outlaw the practice for good. As a result, Calcraft performed a number of lasts in this regard. He performed the last public hanging in Cornwall in 1862 when John Doidge was executed. I love that, Doidge. It should be Dodge, but there's an I thrown in there randomly. Sounds like a Scooby-Doo thing. Doidge? I don't know. John Doidge (laughs) was executed for the murder of his neighbour, Roger Drew. Not the most intelligent of criminals, he had killed Robert with a bill hook which is kind of a mix between a scythe and a machete, that he'd been showing off in the pub the night of the murder, whilst stating he wanted to get his hands on the money that Drew supposedly had hidden in his house. You know, I can't be doing the incompetence of some Mm. of these people. It's the drink. Even worse, because Mm -hmm. he lived next door to him, the police found the body of Drew and went door to door, and when they knocked on the very next door, they found Deutsch, with blood both on his clothes and on the bill hook that he had on the table in his front yes, room. He opened the door with the knife. Who done it? It wasn't me. Yeah. So it it wasn't the hardest day for the police Guys, that like, day. Like the League of Gentlemen. We didn't kill him. Some murders are easy to solve and some are not. Yeah, but you know, they it's like they were all gearing themselves up. <coughs> there's there's been a murder. This is gonna take all of my skill. I hope it's a worthy adversary. And then the very first door you knock on, someone opens it. It's like, oh, yes, God, it's you. <laughs> Off to jail with you, you moron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In 1868, though, public executions were finally formally abolished. Colcraft had been entertaining the crowds for 40 years by this point and would have the dubious honour of performing both the last public execution of a woman when he hung Francis Kidder on April 2nd, 1868, she had drowned her stepdaughter in a ditch. Oh. Oh now, she claimed it was an accident and that the stepdaughter, who was six, had fallen into the ditch and drowned. But it was pointed out by the uh, prosecution that the water in the ditch was only three centimetres deep at the time say, this, this girl drowned. <laughs> so, it was an accident that my foot was holding her head down. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be the world's worst swimmer if you, you manage to, to drown in that amount of water. Uh, the last public execution in Britain period was the hanging of Athenian 
which is sort of like a forerunner of Irish nationalism, the IRA, uh, called Michael Barrett on the 26th of May, 1868, for a bombing that had killed 12 oh, people. Oh, he deserved to die. Well, yeah. you'd think that, but there were some serious questions being asked about... You keep saying that. ...whether he was involved <laughs> at all. Oh, so he was he was a known Fenian. I think that was his main offence, was they were looking for who'd done this bombing. They were and looking for a scapegoat. In the way, yeah, in the way that, you know, racism kind of works. An Irishman is as good as another one because it gives us an opportunity to punish an Irishman. So the Irish Irish to us, historically, is... It's a fraught relationship, It's a fraught say. relationship. So it used to be no Irish, no blacks, no gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> That, that used to be literally written in the 1960s and 70s on doors wow. of pubs, um, boarding houses, hotels, shops. Oh my gosh. 1960s? 1960s, wow. yeah. Yeah, there's people living today um, that remember, obviously, you know, kind of like you're talking about your black people, your, you know, your mixed race people, people who came over on um, the Windrush. Thank you. On from Jamaica <coughs> who can remember that yeah so we basically after World War 2 our working population was pretty depleted and we told all the people in the Commonwealth countries so places we used to own that we, they could come over and have a new life in Britain and that we'd look after them and that it was great and that they could you know come and join this diverse multicultural country and then when they got here uh, they were treated just terribly Aww. like absolute shit yeah yeah, um, reparations still haven't been made mm. for these people. Some of them were deported not that long ago. Wow. And they still, yeah, seriously, seriously it's like a massive yeah. issue. People who've lived here for 50, 60 years yeah. in their old age were being told, yeah, we're going to send you back. It's like, what do you mean send back? My grandchildren live here. My great grandchildren mm-hmm. oh my are being born here. What, what do you mean? It, it, yeah, I don't belong. A, it's, it, yeah. It's not great. You know, it's, no. it's, it's sound, I mean, we have our own like massive problems, but. Like they, we have the what they call the dreamers, the the kids that came here mm. that were born somewhere else, but were here. Their parents were here, and then they're de- like Trump came along and was like trying to deport them. They'd never even been mm. to that country, or they hadn't been there since they were a baby, mm. and they're being deported mm. to a country that they don't even know the language. They don't know anybody there. It's like it's it's so crazy. It's crazy how we treat people. It's yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah, know that. That was that was in that was in like literally the 1960s. I knew so, of the yeah. Irish English, like when I went to Ireland, I read a lot of history about it, and the the back and forth of English trying to control and all that. But yeah, I didn't even know it was that recent that there was problem. There was there was very unfortunately very little back and forth. It was mainly just back. It was just the British. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> We're taking this now. We're just yeah, go over. And then using the law of, we've had it for so long that it's basically now ours. It's like, no, it's still theft. <laughs> okay, um, go on. Yeah, so even though there were serious questions about whether Michael Barrett was involved in this particular plot to, to um, do this bombing, and high-level MPs were kind of questioning it and, and recommending clemency, uh, he died in front of a crowd of 2,000 people who reportedly sang Rule Britannia while the sentence was carried out. So, yeah, racism. Yeah, oh. that'll teach them and just pure revenge motive I guess mm-hmm. of course the ending of the public executions meant the beginning of private ones and Colcraft presided over the first hanging within a prison when he hung 18 year old Thomas Wells at Maidstone Prison on August 13th 
1868. <laughs> he also presided over the first hangings within the walls of Newgate, mm-hmm. Strange Ways in Manchester, mm-hmm. and even the first private execution north of the border in Scotland, when he hung George Chalmers in Perth on October 4th, 1870. Chalmers had been convicted of the murder of John Miller, mainly because he had changed into the dead man's clothes at the scene of the Ugh. crime and was still wearing them when he was arrested by the police six months later. Ugh. But he yes. didn't kill him. He was just wearing the clothes. Oh, he killed him. Oh, he did. No, he, he, he brutally beat his head in with a crowbar, oh. um, uh, robbed him of his watch and his money. And He didn't even wash the clothes before no, he wore them? No. He, um. he, he, literally, he was a vagrant. He, ha- he was wearing rags. And he beat this guy to death to get a, a few pennies and his watch, and then saw the clothes and went, "I'll take those." Mm. Yeah, maybe some. Yeah, I could. I could look shop. I could pretend to be a businessman. Wow, for a uh, little bit until he looked yeah. rough as. Well, yeah. Six months later, I, <laughs> I guess he smelled a bit. He wouldn't smell like a businessman. No, especially yeah, if he was caught. Blood, bludgeoned. Oh, yeah. It goes brown. He could say it was just poo. Because that's better. Well, if you're trying to avoid a murder charge, it is. <laughs> no, it's just my own shit. Just a normal businessman walking through Dundee, speckled in poo. (laughs) We've all been there. Oh, no. But Colcraft had now entered his 70s. Wow. And without the energy of the crowd to feed off, he was reported to be showing his age and making more mistakes. He wasn't... How do you make a mistake in... Well, it's stuff like he wasn't tying the knots right. Oh. Um, he was taking longer to do things. Mm. He wasn't pinioning people right. Uh, you okay. know, all of these little things. And it spoke to someone who got into the job for the for the crowd. He liked the fact that he stood up on a stage and people paid attention and he was sort of orchestrating a big show. Yeah. And suddenly it wasn't a big show anymore it was just this sombre affair where you know a couple of witnesses watched him now he has to deal with the death that he's causing mm-hmm. yeah i guess there's no adrenaline rush there for him anymore and he's getting older so you know at first he loved traveling he loved going all over the country to do these um, executions but then it was getting more and more of a an issue and he was saying that he was now having to support his elderly mother who amazingly was still alive at this point <laughs> So I can't imagine what age she was. And he was complaining about having to pay upkeep for her. And it just seemed like, you know, it wasn't the job that he'd signed up for. He's like 40 years later, he decides, you know what? I don't think this is the job for me. You know, he's he's a product of of a bygone age. That's going to be me. I'm going to be like a nurse for 40 years. And I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm in the wrong field. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Time for me to get out. (laughs) Isn't for me. Even worse for Colcraft and his sort of grip on this head executioner job. In 1872, a provincial executioner from Lincoln, because, you know, there were so many executions happening that sometimes they overlapped and there were other people who would occasionally step into the breach. And one of these guys called William Marwood, he was less of a showman, uh, more of a thinker. And he took the opportunity to demonstrate his new long drop method of execution when he was hanging a murderer by the name of William Hooray, oh, which is a great surname. That's horrible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't. Oh, like you don't that. like William oh, Hooray? No. no. So called because that's how they caught him after murdering people. He couldn't help but shout Hooray! That isn't true, is it? No, that, of course that's not true. No, that would be ridiculous. True. He thought it in his head. Hooray! Yeah. Hooray! Another one. Well, he only actually killed one person. Uh, 
I couldn't figure out exactly who it was, but it seemed most likely it was his girlfriend. Oh. Uh, so he tried this new long drop method of execution. Um, he'd figured out how to calculate the correct length of rope so that he was able, in theory, to snap the neck of the condemned person, killing them instantly. He tried it on Mr. Hooray. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> it worked. He was dispatched without the struggling, without the kicking, without all the issues. Because I should mention, there had been an occasion um, where Calcraft had been executing another Fenian, and he'd been given a death threat. He'd been sent death threats if he, he went through the execution. So he decided what he'd do is he would pull the lever, and as soon as he'd done that, he'd jump off the scaffold and run back into the prison, just <laughs> in case someone took a shot at him. So he pulled the lever, he jumped off the scaffold, he ran to the prison, and the gentleman he was hanging managed to get his legs loose of the pinions because they hadn't been <laughs> tightened correctly and hoisted himself back up <laughs> by his feet to stand sort of legs akimbo astride the <laughs> trapdoor yeah. with hands still pinioned, oh. you know, noose around his neck and hood on. But he's just standing there and they forced Calcraft to get back onto it. They had to force him back out from the prison to get onto get the um, scaffold. And then it was just like a, a farce where this blindfolded man is trying to avoid being pushed into oh the God, hole into a hole by <laughs> Colcraft, who's getting more and more stressed by the entire thing because you you know the crowd are jeering by oh, this yeah, point because they they, they're not... probably yeah. loving it <laughs> oh. and in the back of his mind he's got I could be shot at any time mm-hmm. they've, they've said they're going to shoot me and rather than being behind the nice big prison walls I'm stood on this scaffold dancing around this trapdoor like an idiot mm-hmm. trying to push this incredibly live guy yep. <laughs> through a hole it's a day isn't it how was your day honey (laughs) don't want to talk about it I I you wouldn't believe I I noticed you were at the execution a bit longer weren't you William dear well luckily her wife witnessed it because she was selling pies at the corner in the back yeah she was there yeah, in the end, she had to run up underneath the <laughs> scaffold and sort of sweep his legs from there. Like, he wasn't expecting the, the, the low attack. But yeah, so that was the kind of hanging that people wanted in the Georgian era. If anything, it probably made people happier to have Calcraft as their hangman because you never knew what was going to happen <laughs> at a Calcraft hanging. You, he put on a show. Anything could occur. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like I say, you know, you've got Marwood and it's cold efficiency mm-hmm. like, like in the old days yeah i'm going to measure the because from from this point on with marwood he would get the exact height of the person so he'd measure them he'd weigh them he'd get everything sorted you know it was really military precision was what he was going See, for. in germany they took their execution seriously right they mm-hmm. were like had the apprentice and then they took it very seriously they they knew exactly how to and then back then they even did the tortures they didn't do tortures anymore. Yeah. What happened to that? I'm just kidding. Go on. Well, Calcraft was, I mean, I imagine in his 70s, he'd handed the flogging roll on to oh. somebody else. It must be hard to flog in your 70s. You just don't have the, the willpower that. to flog for quite as long as you used to. Sheen had, Sheen had worn off that as well. Yeah. He'd, he'd probably give it a couple of half-hearted <laughs> flogs and, the you know, the, the urchin wouldn't even have noticed that he started. See, to be honest, you'd probably want them. Yeah, you'd right. Them I'd, I'd, I'd say, yeah. can, I pick my, like... can I pick my flogger, please? 
<laughs> I want that old guy right there. <laughs> <laughs> the old guy that he could barely hold it. Can't be bothered to be here. <laughs> so the long drop it immediately it was a sensation, and the the authorities were like, "Do you know what? This is exactly this is." enlightenment kind of way of doing the execution we're using science we're using uh, precision we want to adopt this as the way that we're going to do things moving forward and they kind of went to Colcraft and said look we've got this new method that you know marwood's come up with we'd like you to to sort of adopt this we'd like you to take this on board and maybe you could learn the the table that allows you to adjust the length of the rope and you could start doing these long drops Colcraft declined he was set in his ways. He's old. And I imagine the conversation went, I've been doing this 43 <laughs> years and I've never once had a complaint from any of the people I've hung. Except for the ones that didn't go back in the hole. <laughs> he went back in eventually. Um, but he, he, I think it's also a case of he, he knew he was on the way out in terms of this being his role. Um, and two years after demonstrating the long drop method, Marwood replaced a 73-year-old Calcraft as the official London and Middlesex executioner. Calcraft's last execution took place on the 10th of August, 1874, in Exeter, where he hung murderer John MacDonald. And sadly, because it would have been really nice to give you the full background on what John had done, there was absolutely nothing <laughs> to the point you know, yeah. that, that, where there wasn't any newspaper cutting, there Ow. wasn't even... You know who he'd murdered, how he'd murdered. I don't know if he was a stabby murderer, <laughs> a shooty murderer. It was either not even worth a mention or so horrific they mm. didn't publish it. Yeah, he hung murderer John McDonald. He knows what he did, mm. <clears throat> and we don't need to mention it anymore. Suffice to say that village has been submerged under a reservoir, mm. and no one will ever be able to visit his house of horrors again. Calcraft. <laughs> uh, when he was forcibly retired, he did receive a pension of 25 shillings per week, but a lifetime of mental strain had taken its toll. Mm. So when he started, he was apparently a very genial man. He would have time to speak to people. Um, people would often follow him after executions and he'd invite them to have a pint with him. So he'd go into his local, the Tiger pub, nice. and he'd drink with people and he'd sort of play beer skittles beer. he was apparently an avid rabbit fancier beers oh. beer skittles it so it's a pub game where you have a ball attached to um a rope or a small chain and you have a set of skittles um on a wooden plank what so is a skittle on the chain think of like a small bowling pin okay okay so you set up a small set of bowling pins on a wooden platform and then there's a, a stick with a ball on a chain attached and the idea is to throw the ball so that as it spins around the stick it hits it's the like skittles. a cross between temping bowling and um, swing ball yeah oh, okay but you play it in a pub mm. okay and apparently when he was younger Colcraft really enjoyed it okay i'm on board got he started to get more and more annoyed as the years went on with people either asking him about his work or criticising him for the job he did or making jokes when they were getting drunk next to him about what he did. Um, and he started to become uh, more and more misanthropic. He gave up the rabbit breeding. 
Oh. He couldn't even enjoy his rabbits anymore, and the store. That's what the pies are made of. Rabbits. Oh, well, he was breeding a lot of pies. Well, I do uh, like rabbits. rabbits. Well, you don't need. To, you don't need. It, they don't need encouragement. No, these, were, these were high quality rabbits. I, they a, still don't need encouragement. <laughs> he was a rabbit fancier. I imagine he took them to rabbit shows, and they had to hop around a little ring, and then you voted for the the fluffiest bunny. But he couldn't enjoy that anymore because apparently the the guy that he used to buy all of his equipment from made a joke about his job and he got to the point there where that was it as soon as someone mentioned his work in a negative way he immediately sort of dropped them and he wouldn't associate with them or anything he was that sort of sensitive about it by the end it was probably Um, probably a lot see in the germany back in the old days they stayed away from the executioners they were like the devil so they didn't have to deal with all that do you know well, I mean, that had its own thing because there is also a story that um, his daughter brought a man home, a suitor, oh. to meet Papa. And this young bloke that she was seeing, they'd started eating and he was sat and he was having a great time with her and her friends. And they were getting drinks in, having a great time. And then Calcraft walked in. He realised who the dad was and he panicked so much that he jumped over the table uh-uh. kicking everything out of the way just so that he could get out the door <laughs> because he was that terrified oh that, my you know, that, gosh you know he'd almost dated the hangman's daughter wow. and that's going to have an effect on your mental health as well yeah. you know mm-hmm. that being the reaction when you walk into a room yeah. where you're seeing everyone's having you, you're walking up the stairs and you can hear all these sounds of people laughing and joking and having a nice party and you're thinking oh great <laughs> a long day of hanging people yeah I can I can relax, I can unwind. And then as soon as you walk in, a man screams, kicks over in your all own the food, home, smashes all the bottles of your drink and hightails it out of your back door. Oh, man. That's, that's going to have a, an effect. Yeah. And by the end, once he'd finished being a hangman, he was described as being a surly, sinister and unkempt man would stalk the streets of London in scruffy black suits oh. as a morbid reminder of a former more bloody era. Oh, so wow! The thing—he—he was—he was an anachronism in his own lifetime because when he started doing uh, the executions, it was—it yeah. was something that was so normalised. He was excited about it, and whereas by the time he was finishing, not worth the money. You know, he died on December 13th, 1879. And at the height of his time as an executioner, over 50 people being sentenced to death by hanging per year. That's a lot of people, yeah. So he was getting through quite a lot of work. You know, that's nearly yeah. one a week he was doing. Um, by the time of his death, though, this had reduced to an average of less than 10 people each year who were actually being hung. So that it really goes to show that so many offences had had the death sentence taken away mm. I think part of it was because we had transportation as well yeah. as a a way of providing clemency without releasing that person back onto our street so you could kind of no we think you might kill again but that's Australia's problem now <laughs> you know send them to the col- oh, colonies yeah. colonies that's, colonies. that's why we have so many murders the colonies it's in our blood send them off to Van Diemen's land we didn't we didn't send that many murderers to America because America was quite a profitable place. America was founded on on business. Business. Yeah, it was the place people went to start business to business. try free enterprise from Britain whereas Australia was really the place we used as our 
holding pen. Yeah. And they sent a lot of people to Australia, like for minor offenses. Yeah, yes. yes. A lot of these things that we're saying uh, were taken down, <coughs> were taken down from the capital offenses. So things like stealing, shoplifting, um, sheep rustling. It wasn't that they were suddenly decriminalized or that it was just a fine. It was well, we've got this other thing, transportation, and that's more humane. We don't have to deal with you, but <laughs> we also don't, you know have to kill you so we feel better about ourselves that we just sent you away and technically speaking transportation carried a sentence with it so you'd be sent for 14 years or seven years or whatever and if you chose then you could come back the thing is the people out there in australia quickly learned you know this is quite a nice place to be when you're a free man because there's lots of land you can just stake a claim um and the middle bit's a bit you know venomous and harsh and everything wants to kill you but the bit around the edge is quite nice and we can live there instead so a lot of people just chose not to return going back to our good friend sweeney that's where he went yeah that's where he was sent yeah and then he came back because you can come back from transportation yeah as long as forgot about that yeah i love i love sweeney's odd i love that and i love the johnny depp version i do (laughs) anyway so he retired. Did he die in the streets? Did he, like, what happened to him? No, no. He, he, he died in his own house um, at the age of 79. That's boring. Good age. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good age, especially considering that the job that he was doing was quite a quite a hard job mentally. Yeah. If not that physically. Would be extremely difficult. Especially, especially if it was the children and the women, I think, would be really hard. Yeah. I mean, I know you're not supposed to like that his job is to execute, not to judge. But I wonder if ever you think like did they really do it? it is this a fair punishment? Well, they must have done because it was, you know, this the Georgian era was when the the pamphlet was the king and it was like their social media and newspapers were full of sensation and there wasn't a lot of rules around crime reporting because, you know, the media influence on crime and trials wasn't really it hadn't been considered because it was so new so you couldn't avoid the fact that certain crimes it was oh well there's not enough evidence this person's being framed or this person's being told you know it's a cover-up because there's some rich guy who actually did it i mean the amount of times there was probably a servant who got framed for something and it was because the um you know earl's son was a bit of a sociopath and they just needed a, a convenient scapegoat i feel like a lot of times when i'm reading about a story in english history they prosecuted pretty quickly like things were oh yeah yeah and i think there was a law that they had well no that was english law or scottish law where they had 100 days yeah but Mm -hmm. um it just seems like it would happen so fast so you wouldn't get all of the evidence and all of the most trials wouldn't last a day and it was actually during calcraft's time as the executioner that they passed a law that said murder people who were facing the death sentence there had to be between two and three weeks between passing the sentence and executing them because normally it was two days so you could technically be um, arrested for a crime taken and depending on when the uh, the sessions were in it, the entire thing could happen really really rapidly and uh, you could be hung within a matter of weeks from the crime occurring depending on when the uh, court sessions were held if you timed it wrong it could be boom 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 so yeah, by the by the time of his death, it reduced significantly, and you only really needed one executioner. So from that point, there's just a line of executioners to Marwood to the mm-hmm. you know 
all the way through to eventually the peer points who were the last executioners. Well, him inventing that long, um, what do you call it? The long, the, the long drop. The long drop would have him be a first in line for being like the executioner to go to, don't you think? Uh, he he took over, but he was he was quite old. Um, when he took the job, oh. when he took over from Colecraft, because that's the problem when you've got someone who stayed in post so long, uh, the next person is already. Did he sell hot dogs? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't. Burgers. I want to say he was a. I want to say he was a cobbler as well. Do you have hot dogs in England? Yeah. <laughs> I want to say that um, William Arwood was also a cobbler, because it, it's amazing how many executioners started out as cobblers. Oh. Like, there's a weird connect. But it would take nearly a hundred years from Colecraft retiring to get to the point where we didn't have any executions. It was ninety years between Colecraft's retirement and us finally abolishing the death penalty and having our last executions in nineteen sixty-four. Wow. And the sources for this episode, because I had two sources, um, and not books, unfortunately. Because uh, there was only one Calcraft book I could find, and it was out of print. And to buy a copy, it was like sixty pounds. Oh, oh, yeah. And the cover was a cartoon drawing, which doesn't bode well <laughs> for the content. It's like I'm a children's too... book. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too much of a book snob, but if you, you know, if it's clear you did your own cover on Photoshop, I'm not sure I can trust the content inside. Oh so what I did use instead for the information around the individual crimes that we talked about was. BritishExecutions.co.uk and CapitalPunishmentUK.org, and they were really useful resources for when I saw mentions of particular crimes going in and seeing exactly what happened because they often have the um, the uh, court reports from the Old Bailey, so you get verbatim sort of like how the trial went. Yeah. And when you say trials were short, it's maybe three pages. Yeah. You know, of, of text for the entire court report. So yeah. It was, oh, and also at that time, you know, you didn't really get a defence. It was just the prosecution tried to make their case, mm-hmm. and that was that. You couldn't call a witness for your for your defence. You could call people who could um, attest to your character. Things have changed a lot in the last fifty years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if if you ever want to just idly look at what happened in various crimes, it's got lists. Well, of you know, I love a good executioner story. Yeah, I love executioners, hangmen's. I have a thing. It's weird, I know. So I'm glad you included me on this episode. <laughs> I've covered two of them, but there's a few more that need to be need to be covered. It's um, definitely not my hot topic. I no. like transport. I yeah, I I have a thing for like executioners. That's why that was like my very first episode I ever did. It was, and uh, it was long and it was horrible. I'm sure, but I was like I had to do it because I, yeah, and I like pirates a lot, which. Has nothing to do with medical history, but I have a thing for pirates, and it doesn't. I just love true doesn't. crime. I just I have these weird. It's a horrible. It's like I have the dark side. That's I'm giddy yeah, about. You're getting you're getting it out via talking about it on a podcast rather <laughs> right? than yeah you yeah know, putting together a kill kit and I, going out <laughs> and finding yeah. I I could never I I could never I too no I could no. never do it. I'm too chicken. I I can admit that. Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric. Here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. 
You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.